People think I'm damaged goods. I'm worried about losing my job. Will I ever get a transplant? I want to see my children graduate from college. How can I afford this? I don't want to be a burden. I'm afraid. I'm overwhelmed with information. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever fall in love and get married. I just want to play with my friends. You're listening to Kidney Talk, streaming health, happiness, and hope to the renal community with your hosts, Lori Hartwell and Stephen First. And welcome to Kidney Talk. We're in our new studios. I'm so excited. And they're so gorgeous, much bigger than the old studio. Yes. And today is what? We won't air on this date, but what's today? Today is Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day, Day and Lori is wearing red. (laughs) And I have taped chocolates all over my body. Even though I'm a diabetic, it don't it doesn't seep through the skin. I know. What's your favorite gift to receive for Valentine's Day? I can't say that on the air, Laura <laughs> Lee. But uh, no, my favorite gift. I love candles. I'm yes. always into candles. I'm kind of. I have a nice, large female side, you know. And, uh, and I like you didn't candles. get a female kidney either. That's strange. No, I know. Just I imagine if you would have gotten a female kidney. Boy, it would have been all over. You would have been painting your nails and everything. Right. I've been doing dishes and everything, which I do anyway. But uh, anyway, today we are talking to a fascinating family. Yes. They wrote a book, all of them together, called Dialysis Without Fear. Dialysis Without Fear. I, you know what? And that's a scary. lot. It's scary. It's a, it's a it's a fearful thing. I know the first time I was told I was going to be on dialysis, uh, you know, first of all, I was told in 99 that, you know, you may be on dialysis in the future. And I went, yeah, right. You know, never know. believed you it. You never but think then, it can happen to you. Huh? And the biggest fear is when you walk into that dialysis unit for the first time. Yes, it's the smell, the smell of the dialysis Well, I bathed is. before I went in. <laughs> the smell of all the chemicals. is. I'll never yeah, forget that smell. Yeah, it's kind of like walking into a beauty shop. Yeah, with the, you know, do that, their nails. Uh, Oh, yeah, it's horrible. It's horrible. So well, when we come back, we're, we're going to talk, talk to the Offer family. The Offers, uh, Marjorie, Dan, and Susan. So and, I'm And which one's which? I wonder if we'll be able to tell them apart. You know, we'll make them an offer. Ha <laughs> ha. Hi, folks. Crazy Kidney Kid here to tell you about the incredible specials we're having. We are definitely wheeling and dealing this weekend. If I can't put you in a proper access, a lifeline like me and the missus like to call them, and I'll stand on my head and eat a low-sodium bug. First, we have a Crazy Kidney Kid special on hemodialysis access with several different models. We have catheters great for the beginners or in any emergency, but you'll soon want to move up to a more sporting model. Next, we have the AV graft, a good utility access, but believe me, sweet folks, I have saved the best for last, the fistula. This is the access that everyone is talking about. You'll get great mileage and years of use with this baby. What's that you say? Hemo just doesn't fit the lifestyle you prefer, PD? Well, feast your eyes on this baby. Oh, I forgot this is radio. You'll just have to trust me on this one, folks. This is the PD catheter model. Beautiful, efficient, and easily hidden from view. So take your pick. We're dealing all week. We'll really have to move these babies. Keep your access clean and free of infection. A daily check for signs of redness and warmth could indicate infection. Check with your health care team for tips on how to keep your dialysis access clean and safe for use. And remember, if I can't put you in one of these lifelines, I'll stand on my head and eat a low-sodium bug.
you? We're great. Is it cold there? You're calling all the way from Chicago, correct? Yes, it's very cold. Oh, no. I'm going to Chicago in, like, three days, four days. Welcome yeah. to Freeze. Oh, welcome <laughs> to Freeze. Now, where are you originally from? I, I can tell you're not from around here. Originally, I'm from Israel. From oh, Israel. Okay. I know that place. So you wrote this book called Dialysis Without Fear, and I was on dialysis for 12 years, and please tell me a little bit about why you decided to write the book. Well, because I really had no preparation for it. Uh, just one day I was basically a normal person, and the next day I was told I have to go on dialysis. Wow, that must have been a shock to you. It, it definitely was. And because I'm a physician, the nephrologist thought I know everything about it, mm-hmm. which of course was not true. Were you showing symptoms of, of kidney disease before that? No, I really didn't. I had some, the kidney wasn't functioning optimally, but I really had no symptoms. And I had open heart surgery, and when I woke up, surgeon said, I have good news and bad news. The good news is the surgery was very, was very successful. The bad news is that you, your kidney stopped functioning. So you didn't know that you had high blood pressure or diabetes, any kind of warning signs of kidney disease? Wow, that sounds like that... That's not exactly true. I mean, in that Dr. Offer was being followed for hypertension, and he was on uh, hypertensive meds, and he also, uh, they knew the kidneys were not functioning well, and he was on a low-protein diet, but... They thought there was plenty of margin that nothing would happen. And they they just thought they'd play a a game and stuff and not tell him, right? No, 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 no. I mean, we knew that he was not in the normal uh, population, but we did not think that anything was imminent. You know what? That's exactly what my wife said to me. You're not in the normal population. (laughs) That's exactly what she said to me. Now, how are you guys related? Now, Susan, you're there, right? I am. But you're not in Chicago, right? No, I'm in Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Oh, wow. Wow. L.A., Chicago, Austin, all on one kidney talk. This is pretty exciting. Now, now, Susan and, and, and Margie, what is your relationship together? Are you guys just best buds, or how do you know each other? I'm... Dan and Margie's daughter. Oh, my God! How do you like that? Did they adopt you after you wrote the book? Actually, I am somewhat adopted, um, but Dan has been my dad since I was eight years old. Oh, so he's your dad-dad anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now, Susan, what do you do? Are you a writer by, by trade, or, or what do you do? My parents, they'd always encouraged me to write, and I had wanted to do some writing, and at the very same time, somebody... A friend of theirs had said, you know, you really should write a book uh, about your experiences and, you know, and helpful kind of information for people. And they approached me and said, we have this idea, but would you like to help us execute on it? Would you like to be the primary writer? You know, you wrote a book about dialysis without fear. How did you come up with that particular title? Because I think that's the the, the biggest thing that people, you know, oh my God, this is so scary. And how did you come up to say that was the number one focus you wanted to present in the book? I personally didn't come up with the title. That was my mother. I think we picked the the title because our experience was what you're saying, Lori. It's terribly frightening. Yes, it is. It's frightening for the patient. It's frightening for the family. Mm -hmm. The whole image in our society is extremely negative. Uh, Even the perceptions 
of people around you when you say it. In the first couple of years, or maybe three, four, five years, I was very careful not to say anything to strangers or people if I was away, because all of a sudden you get this poor schlep look in their eyes. It's very frightening. As a matter of fact, the first time I went out for Halloween, I dressed as a dialysis machine. <laughs> oh my God! And then people were frightened to death. Yeah, it's true that that you know people are so scared of dialysis, and and you know they they think you're hooked up to a machine, and you're you're like you know how you see people with oxygen machines in the mall. They think you drag your dialysis machine around with you, and it's just a perception. Whole society um, doesn't. I don't know, and I don't know where in what part of the world it might be more positive, but within Western society, it has a very, very negative image. Well, that's one of the goals when I founded Renal Support Network was to really rebrand people who have kidney disease um, because of the fact that, you know, you turn on the news and they say, oh, if you don't get a transplant, you're going to die. I was on dialysis for 12 years from age 12 to 24. And I grew up with that message, you know, that look, oh, you're on dialysis. I'm so sorry for you. And it was frustrating because then, you know, people's expectations drop of you. And then, you know, like you're no longer valuable. And that was one of the most difficult things. So I totally agree with you. It's uh, frustrating because the media portrays if you don't get a transplant, you're going to die. Daniel, I had somebody say to me one time, they found out I was on uh, dialysis, and they actually said to me, Daniel, oh, so that means you have about seven years to live, right? Right. Yeah, the perception, of course, it was true before the 1970s. uh, If you were on dialysis, you didn't live very long. Since uh, 1980 or so, uh, the longevity on dialysis has really improved dramatically. Now, what kind of, you do hemodialysis, right, Daniel? And do you do it at home or in in the... Clinic, I go three times a week for three hours each time. And uh, after the dialysis, I come home, I don't feel so great for a few hours. I'm weak and tired. But the next day, I feel great. And I still work part-time at the university where I teach in the med school. Oh, because Lori told me you were the coach of the football team. (laughs) Now, Susan, um, well, (laughs) I know he likes football, but hey, Susan, what is it? How did it affect you growing up as a child that, you know, with a father, uh, you know, that has uh, chronic kidney disease or were you, you weren't a child when he went on dialysis, correct? When he started dialysis, I was well into my 20s. Oh, you were an old woman then. (laughs) I also, for the majority of the time he's been on dialysis, I haven't lived in the same city as him. But I do think that the way it affects me, I think initially also is very frightening. Um, I also had the misperception that this was the beginning of the end and, you know, we'd be lucky if he was going to be around for another year, which can have been uh, more wrong. And, um, and I actually learned a lot from as I was writing the book and sort of re-set um, my expectations, which was uh, a nice thing. But I also think, because I have children, so the other way that it affects me is that when my parents come to visit, I actually don't want them to be afraid. And I've worked to take them to see him at dialysis and that it's kind of not that big of a deal that grandpa goes off for his medical treatment. I started in the center, but then I went at home and I have two grown kids too. And I didn't want them to see me in the chair with the needles in my arm. I just felt very vulnerable, 
you know, and they, they always looked upon me as the, the leader of the family, the, the, the person who was strong. And to see me in such a, what I felt was a weak position really upset me. Did you feel the same way? I can understand that. And I think I might feel a little bit differently if it was their father as opposed to their grandfather. But a grandfather role in my mind is more to kind of be that loving sort of smother the kids with love, but not to be such the protector. Yeah, I love that. I, I just became a grandfather. I love to smother with the love. And then when their diapers need to be changed, you give them back to the parents. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. When we come back, we're going to find out some more fearful things about dialysis. And we, we, you know, we're looking at the book and there's some topics in your chapters we want to talk about. So stay right there. We're going to break for commercial and we're going to come right back. Hello. Hey, Betty. Mary and I are going to lunch at that new Italian restaurant across from the mall. Dying to go to that place. I hear they got great salads. Then the three of us can do a little shopping across the street and just have a girls' day out. Mm, that sounds like fun. I can't wait. Meet us at 1230 at Tuscany's. Ugh. Wait a second. Today's Thursday. I've got dialysis. <sighs> just go in early. Are you kidding? They are so strict about the times, and besides, they're all full all day. Maybe next time. I'll tell you about the restaurant and what Mary and I bought at the mall. Such a good friend. There's gotta be a better way. Instead of next time, how about next stage? What Betty doesn't know is there is a better way. The Next Stage System 1, the first truly portable home hemodialysis machine, can help you take back your life and set your own schedule for home hemodialysis treatments. After a short training period for you and a partner, you have your own portable dialysis machine right in your own home. All of your supplies are delivered to your doorstep. Taking back your life and setting your own schedule are just part of it. Doing dialysis at home also allows for more frequent dialysis, which better imitates the function of a normal kidney. Many patients doing more frequent dialysis report that they have more energy and feel better. Want to travel? With your doctor's prescription, Next Stage can support travel anywhere in the continental U.S. The Next Stage machine is about the size of a 13-inch TV and has a sturdy travel case available, and all your supplies will be delivered to your destination. So schedule dialysis around your life instead of your life around dialysis. Ask your doctor if home hemodialysis with the Next Stage System 1 is right for you. For more information, call Next Stage at one 866 stage or visit www.nextstage.com. family. Now, has that name been changed over the years? That's an interesting thing you're saying. Oh, say that again, because Lori doesn't think I have interesting questions. Oh, it's a fascinating <laughs> question. Daniel's real name is Thomas Edgar Hirsch, and he was born in Berlin. And when he was five, the family realized there was trouble in Germany, and they went to Palestine. And he was called Thomas Edgar Hirsch till his 18th birthday. Really, when he was 17, they closed the high school. And he changed his name to Daniel 
offer, and offer is the Hebrew word for a little Bambi, a little uh, deer, yeah. which ah. is the German word for Hirsch. And he fought in the Palmach, or the strike force, the troops in 1948. He was in the army for two years. So he took a Hebrew name instead of a German name. And then he came to the States for his education. So his, he was fourth-generation physician, and there was no medical school in Israel in 1950. So they wanted him, his father and grandfather, who were docs, wanted him to have the best possible education. And so he was sent to the U.S. One of the things that I think is interesting is that the chapter that you wrote was called Demystifying the Machines and Tubes. And I know that's really a scary thing, and patients don't always take the time to learn about the machine. So, you know, were there um, aspects of the machine that you really found were uh, the most important to learn about? Well, I was working on the research on that, and I would go, went to the dialysis center, and I wrote almost a minute-by-minute description of what you're hearing and smelling and seeing. And then I sent the notes over to Susan. And Susan, you could pick it up from there. This is really interesting because I did go into dialysis units and I did interview a number of people. But at the time, I wasn't really paying attention to the machine itself. So after I got this kind of play-by-play description from my mother, I kept going back to her and saying, well, where exactly is the blood cleaned? Like, I needed to visualize it, and probably would have just been easier if I got in my car and gone, but at the time, I needed to be working on the chapter, and so when we kept going back and forth as she's describing it to me, and, you know, until I could really visualize it. So hopefully, I mean, that's one of the benefits of having a writer who doesn't have that medical background, is to kind of bring it down to earth for other people who, mm-hmm. you know, it's just as new to them. And what was the most fearful aspect of dialysis for, you know, all of you? What scared you the most? Well, will, will the machine do its job? Uh, and will, one time I uh, was in dialysis and they, they didn't put the uh, metabolic part of the machine on. They just put the uh, uh, taking off the water. So uh, obviously I didn't get a good dialysis. That's because you didn't pay the bill. They always cut things off if you don't pay the bill. <laughs> no, it had nothing to do with the bill. Ah. It just was a technician's error. Uh, the next day, I really felt miserable. My potassium was very elevated because they didn't uh, clean uh, me. Then when I came, that was an, actually not in Chicago. And then when I came to Chicago, they told me that I was really relatively uh, dirty, so to speak. And they gave me an extra dialysis, and that was very helpful. So then I felt better. So they can make mistakes, but the machine, uh, on on the whole, does its job very well. You learn to trust the machine. Well, you need you need to learn about it and you know, monitor it yourself. I've always found as a patient, you know, for many years, is that you know that extra set of eyes is so important. Yes. I and, agree with that. And Margie, what, what was the biggest thing that you feared about dialysis? After 9-11, the concept of if we ever have an attack, how to deal with getting to dialysis. You know, we actually had a show about how to do dialysis in case of a, like an earthquake or a flood or a hurricane. Well, I have the pamphlet on the emergency procedures. 
But that is the only thing that has ever really thrown me. Yeah, we, we interviewed people from Hurricane Katrina and what they had to do. Right. Yeah, and it was quite fascinating. Susan, what was your biggest fear about your dad going on dialysis? Well, I think I shared it before, which is that just that it was kind of the beginning of the end. Oh, right, right. What is one of the things that you want fellow patients and family members to know from this book? Um, For for me, the initial reaction is one of shock. Uh, Some people get depressed. Some people get anxious. Some people get very angry. And occasionally someone gets psychotic. But it's a normal to kind of have a strong reaction when you realize that for the rest of your life you'll be hooked up to the machine if you want to live. But then after a while you get used to it and you go on with your life. In my case I still work. I I know a lot of people in the clinic where I go to work. Some work half-time, some work full-time, but they do work. And some, if they have other major illnesses, they cannot work. Some are too old, and so they are retired, and they don't desire desire to work. But uh, the important thing is to kind of cope with the psychological aspects of it and to move on with your life. How much longer? I've been working now for eight years on dialysis. Now, what's your current age? About 78. Oh, you're a youngster then. Yes. You got another 10 years of of work before you collect Social Security. I probably, I, I will do some more work. I just heard today from a colleague where we want to write a paper together. I've been in academic medicine all my life, so I do write, write articles and books and that kind of thing. So even if I don't work for a salary, I will continue to do some uh, academic work. How do you get a copy of this book? Oh, that's very easy. You can go uh, two ways. You can go online to Amazon, to Barnes & Noble. It's published by Oxford University Press, and they brought it out both in hard and soft cover. So soft cover is not very expensive at all. It's uh, fifteen ninety-five, and if you need, you can always buy it used. Uh, so that it should be affordable for anyone who wants to read about it. Or you can go into a bookstore. Barnes & Noble and Borders were carrying it. Is it on audio for people who can't read very well or no. can't see the words? We're no, sorry. we have to sell a bunch more, and then we can convince them to put it on audio. So. Well, you know what you should do? You know, if you get if you make a phone call to J.K. Rawlings and say for every Harry Potter book sold, you'll give away a uh, kidney book, The Fear of Dialysis, then I think your sales will go up. <laughs> what yeah. a brilliant idea. Yes. <laughs> Um, so listen, thank you, Offers, for um, uh, joining us. It's a great book, and thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Yes, thank you. This really helps patients across the country, uh, around the world, and thank you for sharing your story. Okay, okay, think happy, positive thoughts. Happy, positive thoughts. Rainbows, puppies, and chocolate. Rainbows, puppies, and chocolate. Rainbows, puppies, and chocolate. Here we go. Oh! Rainstorms, pit bulls, and cheap candy. Are you tired of taperns, infections, and embarrassing slips of your PD catheter? Oh, hurricanes, coyotes, and old fish sticks. I know she is. There's a revolutionary new product for dialysis patients developed by a dialysis patient. The PD security band will hold your catheter in place without using tape, helps prevent infections, and is custom made to fit your own body shape and size. It's long-lasting affordable, and best part is, it's comfortable. 
For more details and get to your own PD security ban, log on to www.patientpride.com. Oh, tsunamis, rabies, and food poisoning! Like I said, that's www.patientpride.com. Fascinating family. We got the the daughter and the mom and the, and the dad who sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, it's the first time we've ever done an interview where people were in three different locations: right. Los she Angeles, in, uh, Texas, and Illinois. Right, Illinois, Illinois. Wasn't it Chicago? No, but you you. It's not pronounced Illinois. What's it pronounced? Illinois. The S is silent. Oh, Illinois. Illinois. Like annoy. What you do? We can control our own destiny. We can take charge of our health and ask questions about our medical options. We can form partnerships with our health care team. We can take steps towards self-improvement. We can be sensitive to the impact of our disease on our family. We can sing, dance, laugh, and enjoy our lives. We can appreciate today and look forward to tomorrow. We can help and support our fellow patients. We can pursue our hopes and dreams. We can make a difference. Renal Support Network would like to thank everyone who has made this show possible. Kidney Talk's founding sponsor is Amgen. Generous support is provided by Roche Pharmaceuticals and Estellas. Friends of Kidney Talk are Abbott Laboratories, American Region, and Fresenius Medical Care North America. Thank you for helping us stream health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. Visit rsnhope.org for more information. The opinions, recommendations, statements, and advice contained on Kidney Talk are for information only. You should not use the information on the show to diagnose or treat a health problem or disease without first consulting with a qualified health care provider. Please consult with your health care provider about any questions or concerns you may have regarding your condition or dietary regimen.